You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Good morning, Pasco Vale. And a warm welcome to all who are here in our newcomers as well, and for those who are listening online. Now, today we're continuing our series in Luke, where Jesus confronts us with the various realities of our faith. And today, we'll be addressing our, commu- our community life together, and today we'll learn about stumbling blocks. But before we begin, let's bow our heads in prayer and prepare our hearts to hear the message that Jesus has for us today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the beauty and the privilege to be able to gather in community to worship you and to hear from your word. We pray that the meditation of our hearts and the words that we speak today be wholly acceptable to you. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Now, things we have taken for granted sometimes have long-term impact, doesn't it? Now, for example, things that we do so mindlessly now, without thinking much about it, can sometimes hurt us in the long run. Take, for example, social media. Platforms like Facebook, Instagram, TikToks and the likes are now part of our lives now for about 10 to 15 years. And only now are we starting to see some of the impacts it has on our society, our emotional, our psychological health and even the way we interact with one another. You know, kids nowadays don't like to talk to you, they like to text, you know, things like that. Before long, we'll be doing the same with AI, artificial intelligence. Now take smoking as a case study. You know, back in the day, smoking tobacco was a sign of sophistication and wealth. It was seen as a harmless and enjoyable habit that we didn't think much of. And then around 1950, scientists found the the link between smoking and lung cancer. And what followed was a whole lot of research and confirmations of the links between smoking and heart diseases like stroke and other illnesses. But that's not the only problem. Despite the growing evidence of these negative health outcomes, society largely ignored and downplayed the impacts. Health risks were overlooked and positive advertising and marketing continued to go on. No, smoking continued to be very popular, and it wasn't until about 20 or 30 years later that the industry was started to be regulated at all. Now, fast forward. Fast forward to today. And now it's undeniable that smoking is one of the leading causes of preventable death. Not only does it kill many millions of people each year, it's also a major cause of disability and even economic loss. To us now... It's obvious that we should not smoke. But 50 years ago, not really. Sadly, now we've repackaged smoking, we're vaping. This is attracting a whole new generation of smokers, or should I say vapors. Now, it sounds cool and exciting. There is no longer those ugly pictures on the packaging that we see. But we don't know what the outcome will be. Well, friends, this is a warning that if we ignore the signs, what may begin as a small problem can grow and grow 
into a bigger scale problem. And that should be enough for us to sit up and listen intently to what Jesus is saying through the scriptures. What's alarming is that you can have the data, you can see the evidence, but you can also choose to ignore it until it gets out of hand. Just as ignoring the warning signs can destroy lives and lead to a health crisis, Jesus here speaks about a danger if we let sin go unaddressed. Can, it can damage and it can destroy a community, doesn't it? Now, as Jesus continues his ministry in Luke, people start to follow him and new communities started to form. So in our passage, Jesus gives us guidelines to what his new community should look like, what his church should look like. You know, we are truly blessed to have a great community here to worship together. We, we love being part of this church. And if you ask anyone around here in this group, a large part of what they say about why they love church is because of the community, the love that we have for one another. But it's something we, can, we can't simply take for granted. Because as Jesus explained to his disciples, he tells them that there's always something, something which if left unaddressed can threaten and destabilize everything that we have. So Jesus begins by outlining the greatest threat to our community. In verse 1, Jesus says to his disciples, Temptation to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. In other words, Jesus is saying temptation is inevitable. But don't you dare be the source of it. Normally, when you think about temptation, you think about uh, that it comes from the devil itself. But here, Jesus doesn't mention Satan. He emphasizes on people. It's not the devil, but it's our sin that's the greatest threat to the church. Jesus is telling us that we can't simply think about our sin as only our individual sin, only impacting the individual. In our position within the community of faith, we or you have a responsibility to the whole body. Your sin isn't just about you. Your sin impacts the entire community around you. Just look at some of the scandals through the years, other churches, and you'll see the impact that it has on their community, the division, the falling out, and even the turning away from the faith. Think about it. Much of how you learn to live the Christian life from, is from simply observing other Christians, isn't it? Christians that are around you, we feed off one another. We look to our leaders, we look to our peers, we look to our community to show us how we should behave, how we should live, and how we should communicate. Whether we like it or not, we live, as we live in community with others, you are constantly influencing and being influenced by those around you for better or for worse. 
As people in Jesus' family, we bear the responsibility of the spiritual welfare of our community. And so the greatest threat to our community is ignoring, ignoring the warnings, the warning signs, and leaving our sins unaddressed. Friends, remember there's no sin that's truly private. Sin is never entirely private. Even the sins that are done in secret sometimes spill out in some way or other. It affects the way we view others and it affects the way we treat one another. You know, sadly, secret sins will grow hypocrisy within us and cause a division between our public and private lives. This has a tendency to weaken our witness to others and undermine our ability to love the ch- and serve the church. It may also cause us to withdraw from others or manifest in ways we're not even aware of. Every sin is always damaging the body of Christ. Now the word for sin here in this passage is different from a typical word for sin in the Bible. In this passage, it means a stumbling block. A stumbling block is more than just something that you trip up and then you pick yourself up and keep on going. No, it's something that trips you up and the fall has the potential to either kill you or cause injury. Here, Jesus probably has in mind sins and temptations that can derail the faith of others. For example, one such example could be the threat of false teaching within the community. The word woe in verse 1 is often used to describe or ascribe to false teachers. So Jesus may have in mind the threat of false teaching that leads others astray or leads others away and causes them to stumble. This threat may seem distant to us, But we need to be aware that there are plenty of cults and false teachers operating all over the world and even in our cities and even in our neighborhoods. Sometimes even ministers whom we have listened to and respected for years can go off the rails. After all, we are all sinners and fallen short. None of us, not even the ministers, are without sin or infallible. If you are invited to another church or events organized by others and you've heard and you never heard of the church organization before, always check. Always check and find out what they are about. Always check against the Bible for yourself of what was being taught. Maybe even look up the statement of faith to see what they truly believe in. You know, my kids was recently invited to Bible camp. You know, all right, it's Bible camp, so it's great. But we don't know what they're teaching them, do we? So I actually went to the website and have a look at what their statement of faith is about. What are they on about? What do they teach? It's so important for us to understand that. That is why it's so important for us, for example, to teach our statement of faith in this church. To help you understand what we're all about. Now if you missed those messages, I encourage you to look back and maybe even listen to those messages so they, because they are great resources and they actually are readily available on the website. 
As the scripture says in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, be a Berean. Now, scripture tells us that the Bereans received the message with great eagerness. But they also examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Now, even Paul, the apostle, was examined against the Bible. So you should probably do the same for everything I say. Or anything any of the preachers are saying here from the pulpit or anywhere else. Don't just take our words for granted. Go look it up. We want you to study the Bible, yes. But we do so in the safety of a community like our church. That has an authorized leadership and has proper accountability when things go wrong. In other words, beware of false teachers. But it's more than just false teaching and that threatens our church. In 1 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy to watch his life and his doctrine closely. Timothy is to lead and protect his community in two ways. Not just guarding his doctrine, but also guarding his own life. Because even something as small as a compromise can have the potential to influence others to do the same, and later potentially even impacting the culture of the church. Take gossip, for example. You know, gossip can spread like wildfire. Just speaking badly of someone behind their backs can influence how others start to view that person or perceive that person. It can spread lies, false assumptions, which can influence a negative church culture. Just like how an infection starts in one small part of the body, if left unchecked, will continue to grow and spread before the whole body is very soon infected. Friends, don't ignore the warning signs. Don't ignore them. Jesus raises the stakes in verses 2. In verse 2, to the one who brings sin into this community, he says, it would be better for him if a millstone was hung around his neck and cast into the sea than he would cause one of those little ones to sin. Sounds pretty extreme, isn't it? Being drowned may be one of the most horrible ways to die. You know, as a scuba diver, I have experienced what it is to, to, to gasp for air. There's not enough air there. It's a very scary feeling. And it's a very terrible experience. But Jesus is telling the disciples that this does not even begin to compare with the tragedy and the pain of damaging someone's eternity. That is what is at stake here. The reason Jesus is so severe when it comes to sin is because of how precious how precious he views his community, you and I. In verse 2, he refers to his followers as his little ones. In other words, you are his children. You deserve a tender care and protection. And as a father, if I see my children being hurt, I will defend them at all costs. And here is Jesus defending his people. In Acts chapter 20, 
Paul charges the leaders to pay attention to themselves and the flock to care for the church of God, which he purchased, not with money, but with his very own blood. He died for you and for me to purchase us. As a church, we want to take, take this responsibility seriously to make sure you're well cared for and protected. So to ensure you are cared for, we need to look at how you can be cared for and, and disciple if that revolves around, and that revolves around four key contexts. I'm not sure if you can see it. But firstly, you need to come to church. You know, whilst we can now listen to sermons online and watch videos about the preachers and stuff and the service that is happening, nothing beats living in a community and exercising our spiritual muscles in living out God's word and teaching in our community. We need to try to be in a life group or a group be it the ladies or fellowship or, or maybe the true north cell group or even perhaps considering starting a life group for yourself if you can't find one that's suitable. You need to be one-on-one -on -one discipled. If you can't find one, find a spiritual partner to walk with. Together, build one another up between your spouse, within your family or even amongst your peers. Think about how we can disciple one another, how we can walk with one another spiritually. You need to cultivate a personal, devotional life. I know we are all busy people, but think about how you can feed yourself spiritually. Be it listening to podcasts. You know, there are so many good, reliable resources out there, and, and you, you can see we have our daily bread in, 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 the, in the foyer. Is one of those good resources they can use to help build your daily devotion. These four points are not the only way, but it's certainly a way of seeking to nurture and protect yourself. This is because you're precious to Jesus, and He has purchased you with His own blood. Often when we think of sin that destabilizes a community, we tend to think of others. Our minds turn to that celebrity Christian who's fallen into sin, and we see the devastating effects of the church's community. Or maybe our mind goes back to experiences of massive church conflict, which splits the church. You know, certainly these things are included in that. But what does Jesus say in verse 3? Pay attention to who? To yourselves. To yourselves. Jesus says, you and your sin, your sin and my sin, are the biggest threat to our community. So we need to be absolutely ruthless when it comes to dealing with our own sin. You know, John Owen the theologian said, famously said this, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. And perhaps Jesus will add to that. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you, and will be killing our community. Friends, please don't ignore the warning signs. 
If you are feeling weighed down by your sin, seek help. Pray with someone. Share it with your life group or your mentor or friend that you can trust. Because we owe it to each other to deal with our sin and to care for each other when we fall. We're not perfect. Jesus said at the very beginning that temptation is inevitable. So we can't just be focused on cutting off the problem from the, from the source, but also being a community that deals with sin once it happens. And so if the biggest threat to our church is unaddressed sin, our greatest need is to deal with sin. And we can do so in two ways. Jesus says in verse 3, If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Now the Greek word used here is adelphos, which refers to a fellow disciple, be it a brother or sister. Jesus says, don't ignore the warning signs. First, you must rebuke. Now rebuking someone for their sin is tough. An even awkward thing to do. We don't like to impose and we don't want others, people, person to feel judged. No, we like to be liked, isn't it? It's so much easier to not rebuke, but instead just to complain about someone behind their backs. But here Jesus places the responsibility on us to address sin and correct someone when they go off on the wrong path. If we are a church that's serious about teaching others for Jesus, reaching others for Jesus, and welcoming others in, we should expect that things will sometimes get messy. You know, as people become Christians, as they turn from their, from their old lives to follow Jesus and start their new life, it takes time, it takes effort for them to, to understand what it means to follow Jesus. To learn what parts of our old life we must give up. And what new things we need to learn and put on. By rebuke, I don't mean go around and scolding one another. There will be chaos. But we can certainly critique someone's action in a loving manner. For example, when a child misbehaves, rather than simply yelling and scolding the child and, 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 and just yelling at them, consider sitting them down and explaining how his or her behavior is not acceptable or detrimental to them and the community. Now notice in verse 3, the way rebuke is to be done in gentle, loving and caring manner. And it seeks the offender's repentance. It doesn't seek to destroy relationships. It seeks to build them up. It seeks to repair those relationships. Which means we take a posture of persuasion rather than condemnation and judgment. Now it's a hard conversation to have. But it's because of your love for each other that we do it. Because we believe it's the best for the individual and it's the best for the church. Jesus says here, and being part of the church community places us, places 
responsibility on us. At church, you can't just play, the, play on the sidelines. The purpose of church isn't just to attend the church service and then feel good about it or whatever and live straight after and play no part in the lives of others. That's not what church is about. We need you to pursue righteousness and holiness together as a community. So first, we must rebuke. And finally, we must also forgive. Jesus says, ultimately, the way to be ruthless when it comes to sin is to become a compassionate community of forgiveness. Forgiveness is the most powerful way to deal with sin in a community. If you are in a community that judges you, no one's going to be willing to step up. No one will be willing to confess and repent because they feel that they'll be ostracized, set aside, or be looked at with different eyes. Forgiveness says that even though you have sinned against me and damaged the community, I won't hold it against you. I'm not going to let that affect the love that I have for you. Forgiveness says that despite what you've done, you are still my brother or my sister, and I love you dearly. But the challenging call is in verse 4. Not just to forgive once, but never stop forgiving. Well, imagine if someone sinned against you seven times in a day, and imagine having to forgive this person each time. And each time, forgiveness becomes harder, not easier, isn't it? And onto this fact that the number seven is a symbolic Jewish culture, which means fullness or completeness. So Jesus is describing here a person that sins against you without measure, completely unendingly. Well, this is a person each time you must forgive. Jesus describes forgiveness as a radical and almost impossible act of love. You know, of course, forgiveness doesn't mean that you overlook the sin and don't deal with it. No, that, that would be in violation of what Jesus commanded in verse 3, in, in his saying rebuke. Forgiveness doesn't mean that there aren't consequences either. For the person who maybe constantly sin and hurt us, it's wise for us to take precautions and not put ourselves in a position to be taken advantage of. But that doesn't mean that you do not forgive that person for what he has done. But having said all that, forgiveness must be unending. And here, it's actually not for us to weigh up the sincerity of the repentance or the apology. But our duty is to forgive. And remember that Jesus pays attention. Jesus says, pay attention to yourself, to myself. And so that means we leave the sincerity of an apology for God, for God to judge. And our duty is simply to forgive and forgive 
and forgive and forgive. If unaddressed sin is the greatest threat, then love and forgiveness is our greatest need. If we are to be a holy and righteous community, our greatest need is to address sin, but also generously forgive the sinner. You may think that this approach of forgiveness will make you look weak, silly, or perhaps even foolish. I mean, the likelihood is that the person who sins and asks for repentance seven times in the same day is probably isn't that genuine in their repentance. And it's not unusual that you will feel angry about it. So there's a sense of inherent foolishness to this type of forgiveness that Jesus calls us to. But I want to ask you this question. I want to ask you this question that I've been wrestling with myself as well. And I want you to have some time to think about it. How many times do you sin in one day? I want to ask, I want you to try and count it for yourself. Maybe think of just this week. How many times a day have you sinned against God? Now, if you come up, manage to come up with a rough number, you will probably be more than seven times, probably even more. Especially, isn't you know, sin is so deep that even the, doing the wrong thing, it's not just doing the wrong thing, sorry, it's also even thinking the wrong thing or failing to do the right thing. That is sin. We would probably have sinned more than seven times a day, easily. So this is the follow-up question. If you sin more than seven times a day against God, well then how genuine is your repentance? And is God foolish to forgive you over and over again when you keep committing the same sin over? And over again. Friends, our forgiveness should really mirror the forgiveness on the cross, of the cross. Where God's forgiveness is constantly extended to us. Even as we sin over and over again when our repentance is so imperfect. That's what's so radical about forgiveness. We're not forgiven because of the quality of our repentance. We are forgiven solely because of Jesus Christ on that cross. And so how much more should our forgiveness mirror the ultimate act of forgiveness of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior? Now if we consider the passage in Luke in the previous passage in Luke 15, how amazing it is that every time a sinner repents, that God isn't angry or growing tired about it. He isn't saying, I don't believe you. No, each time someone repents, all of heaven rejoices and celebrates that someone's lost and has come home. Is only on the cross 
that God shows us how severely He deals with sin, but also how generously He deals with sinners like you and I. It's the forgiveness we receive from the cross that's formed our community here. And it's that forgiveness from that cross that will heal and sustain our community. Now as we conclude, let's come back to Jesus' word in verse 3. Pay attention to yourselves. To yourselves. Today, if there's anything that you've left undressed, maybe it's a sin or a shortcoming that you need to bring up with someone in gentleness and love. Maybe it's someone who needs to know your forgiveness. Now, these are hard things. But we have to turn our greatest weakness into our greatest strength. Ultimately, how we deal with our sin will make or break us. How we deal with our sin will define us as a church family. But that's what it means to be church. A family who will never give up on one another. Just as Jesus never gave up on you. Friends, let's keep an eye on our stumbling blocks. And let's not be indifferent to it. Lest we end up repackaging our sin to, from looking like smoking into vaping. Potentially destroying a whole new generation of believers. A whole new generation of churchgoers. The burden is on you and on I. Let's do our part. Let's watch ourselves. And how we will impact our church community. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. There's no words that can, we can ever use to describe that love that you gave us. That you sent your one and only son to die on the cross for our sins. You were so ruthless in dealing with sin. But yet, through your Son, Jesus Christ alone, you've given us forgiveness. You were so generous in your mercy and your grace. Lord, as your disciples, teach us to be like you, to be passionate for your word, to be forgiving, loving, and welcoming of those who have sinned. To hate sin, but love the sinner. Teach us, Lord, not to judge, not to condemn, but realizing our own contribution for our own sinfulness. Lord, there will be something for each one of us to take home today. I'm sure. I'm sure of it. There will be sins that we need to deal with. There will be sins that we need forgiveness for. 
but let us as the community help us as your church, as your disciples, to provide that support, that love for one another. So that we will shine like a burning bush for you. To shine like the lighthouse into the darkness. Let us be your salt and your light to the world. Because when the world sees this love and this forgiveness, all they see is foolishness, weakness. But when they see the love for one another, they see a hope for themselves. Lord, help us to love you as you have loved us. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.